0: All right, let's turn to Joel chapter 3. <clears throat> Excuse me. Joel chapter 3. When the wind and the dust and the rain and everything else starts kicking up, so does my voice. It just starts to respond kind of funny. So as soon as I start sounding like Mickey Mouse, you know, just go like this and then I'll know it's, you know, I've got to try to lower it down a little. <laughs> Joel chapter 3, verses 9 through 17 is going to be our text. We're going to uh, finish Joel next next week, so uh, we're almost done. And tonight we, uh, we will be covering probably more verses than we have throughout the whole time in the book of Joel. One thing that we want to concern ourselves with as we look at this passage that we're going to read in just a moment is something that we that we find ourselves in today as the church of Jesus Christ as believers in in the Lord, in his word in his promises and that is that we see the world today showing great signs of the Antichrist spirit. Now we can see that throughout the world, and we've probably seen it throughout the world, let's say, for the last 50, 60 years. But we see, once we start seeing it in a nation like ours you can tell the time is near for the return of Jesus Christ and it is turning almost daily more and more antichrist than ever before now we continue to remain as the restrainer with the holy spirit in the church on the earth until the coming of Jesus Christ When you read about the Restrainer being the Holy Spirit in the church in in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, you realize that the Restrainer will be here until the falling away, and that being the complete falling away of of the church, as it were. So this is very important for us to understand this as we look at this passage today, Because God is going to judge all nations. All nations. And The sad thing about mentioning the word all here is that all nations, before Jesus returns to establish the kingdom of God on earth, all nations will be against Jerusalem and Israel. And the remnant that God is going to fight to protect. So that is going to be a greater understanding for us of the day of the Lord. How we're aiming and uh, you know in time toward the day of that that seven-year period that we call the day of the Lord. That's how intense it's going to be for believers. Any believers any remnant that comes to faith in Christ. During the time of the tribulation. Because the church won't be here. The church will not be here. Because the focus. rate returns to Israel. And the Lord returning to. Protect them and watch over them. For those seven years until they. Complete. What is told to us in Daniel chapter 9. Until the completion. Of the of the captivity, the completion of the punishment, as it were, the, the, the chastisement that was to come upon them for 490 years, and all that's left is seven. And those seven years would be the, that time, that is the time of Jacob's trouble, we talked about at the beginning of our study. Look at verses nine through 13, because God is really serious, and he always is. But he's really serious about this judging of the nations. He says, proclaim ye this among the Gentiles. God is going to send messengers all over to every nation. This is the message he's giving them. Prepare war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. This is a challenge of God to come to Israel and to Jerusalem. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. That sounds familiar, but it isn't the way we normally hear that that phrase. Notice what God tells them Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Assemble yourselves and come, all ye heathen. And the word heathen there is goyim, which is nations, and gather yourselves together round about. Thither cause thy mighty ones to come down. In other words, there cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. The the cry of the prophet is, Lord, let let your angels come, or let your hosts and armies come to that very same place. Verse 12, let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Put ye in the sickle. For the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down. For the press is full, the fats overflow. For their wickedness is great. So the Lord, through the prophet Joel, is returning to the declaration that began actually in verses 1 and 2, but was interrupted at verse 3 with a description of some of the sins. Especially by Tyre and Sidon the Philistines or the Palestinians by the way remember that and the Phoenicians consider if you will the connection to these two verses verses 1 and 2 in other words connecting 1 and 2 with verse 9 for behold in those days and in that time when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem which means when he brings Judah and Jerusalem back into the land that's happening right now and it's been happening now for 70 years, but it's not complete yet. Understand that. I will also gather all nations. But it's important, by the way, it's important to understand it is a nation. So I will gather all nations. I will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel. Now remember that the word "plead" there doesn't mean th- like he's begging them, he's actually pleading in from the sense of, of a judge who's stating a judgment that is going to come upon them for their treatment of Israel and he mentions that in in the last part whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land so consider also what is at stake with the Lord consider what is at stake with the Lord what does he say in this passage my people my heritage Israel my land the land belongs to God The the heritage of Israel belongs to God and the people of Israel belong to God. And what is to follow in our text are verses that graphically describe the Lord's terrifying judgment against the nations. And this is a picture of the last battle of human history. The last battle of human history. Many believe it to be the battle of Armageddon. We're going to talk a little bit more about that next week as we close out the book of, uh, of Joel. But some believe this is the battle of Armageddon. One thing we do know about that battle is that the armies of the nations will be united against the Lord and his Christ and will gather to destroy Jerusalem. I mean, let's face it. Listen to Psalm 2. The first six verses of Psalm 2 says, why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. Have you ever just thought, I mean really just thought in meditation, just thought that when you you read about the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3, how much animosity was turned by, by fallen man toward God early on? until God had to destroy the earth in chapter 6 and 7 and 8 and 9. I mean, the, the, the lead up to, you know, the, the flood. But man had become that wicked and that evil against God after the fall. So prophetically speaking, I mean, we're, we're looking at something that, you know, is, is, is once again telling us you know the world's not going to get any better it's only going to get worse and if it was bad then it's going to be really terrible soon enough because it's bad now why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing the kings of the earth set themselves notice and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed who's his anointed? Jesus Jesus The anointed is Messiah. As a matter of fact, the Mashiach, the word in the Hebrew, Mashiach, it means the anointed one. Jesus is the anointed one. And they are coming against God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. God the Father, as we know him, and against his anointed, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And they're saying this, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. They want nothing whatsoever to do with some deity overseeing them. This is why man has become their own gods. Man creates his own gods and for the most part man becomes his own god. Because they don't want a god over them. He that sitteth in the heaven shall laugh. The, the picture is quite clear of what God is is, is 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 doing. you know, It's like, really? I mean, are you serious? You're going to come against me? Okay. The Lord shall have them in derision. Com- complete. Uh, this this is this is a term of mocking man. And then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Turn to Zechariah chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And once again, we see the mention of a place called Jerusalem, Yerushalayim. This is the place where God wants his throne. Mount Zion, when you have an opportunity, read Psalm 48. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness. Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. But notice here, it says in verse 1, The burden of the word of the Lord for Israel, saith the Lord, which stretches forth the heavens, and layeth the foundation of the earth, and formeth the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling, unto all the people round about, when they shall be in the siege, both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that day, remember that phrase, in that day, is a strong suggestion pointing to the day of the Lord. In that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. They're not gathered together against Washington, or against Moscow, or against London, or against Rome, but against Jerusalem. The city on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. Go two chapters over to chapter 14 of Zechariah, where it says, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh. The day that we've been talking about going through this, this book of Joel. The day of the Lord cometh, or the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city shall be taken and the houses rifled and the women ravished. There, there, there is yet a shaking up of the city of Jerusalem in a, in, a, in a powerful way. The residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. And then shall the Lord go forth. And here here it is. is. This is what this last part of Joel is all about. That the Lord shall go forth and fight against those nations. As when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. Whose feet will that be? But the feet of the Messiah himself. His feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem, on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave, which means it will split in the midst thereof toward east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall be removed toward the north, and half of it toward the south. The valley, the valley, the Kidron Valley, but it is the valley of Jehoshaphat. but as we get back to our text in verse 9 the Lord summons the nations hostile to Israel to come up against Jerusalem not that they might destroy Jerusalem as in the past as when God used the Assyrians or at least well the Assyrians with the northern kingdom but actually most importantly Babylon and Rome against the city of Jerusalem no no Not that they might destroy it, but but to be destroyed. He's bringing them to the very place where nations had destroyed his people and his temple. And he's bringing them back to that place to destroy them. So the message goes out to all the nations, proclaim ye this among the Gentiles. Prepare war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near and let them come up. Now, before we go on, let me just mention that if you put all of this together with what happens in the book of Revelation, through all of the judgments that are going on in those seven years, along with the rapture of the church, the population of the earth is not as much as we see it today. The population will not be as much. There will be a lot of devastation by this time. There will be a lot of death by this time on the earth. And of course, the church will be out of the way. So don't consider that, uh, you know, the nations have as great of armies as we see them have today, but yet there'll still be a lot. Don't forget that the army of the east comes as, as a 200 million man army mentioned in the book of Revelation. So he says, prepare war. That phrase, prepare war, literally means sanctify war. Because it is the word kadash, which is the word that is used, you know, kodesh, kadash, these these Hebrew words all are connected to sanctify or set apart or become holy or make holy. Kadash, the phrase is kadash milchama, Kadash milchama means prepare war. Milchama is is the word for war. So this was was stated in this his manner because the heathen always began war with religious ceremonies. Every time the the heathen were going to come against Israel, you know they always prepared their armies by, you know their religious uh, ceremonies. So so the Lord says prepare war for prepare the war the way you want to prepare it. You know. In fact, it was the phrase that was used for Babylon's preparations against Jerusalem. In Jeremiah 6, verse 4, Babylon was told to prepare war. Notice uh, here, it says, prepare ye war against her. Same words. Kadash milchama, prepare war against her. Arise and let us go up at noon. Woe unto us, for the day goeth away, for the shadow of the evening are stretched out. So the very same command went out to Babylon before they attacked and destroyed Jerusalem. And the same phrase is now being used of the final foes of Israel and Jerusalem. And so as as Babylon was then desired by God to advance against Jerusalem for her destruction and judgment for their sins of rebellion and disobedience back in the times of Assyria and, and Babylon, so now all of Israel's foes, all of Israel's foes, of whom Babylon was just a type, These foes, these enemies of Israel and of of God are desired to advance against her for their own destruction. God is challenging them. Come, prepare for war. But the fact of the matter is they're coming to be destroyed. And he tells them in verse 10, beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Spears. And let the weak say, I am strong. Now somebody might be saying, I I thought the scripture says that the nations are to beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. In fact, that is is a scripture that is found at the United Nations. Carved into one of their walls there at the United Nations. Taken from the uh, book of Isaiah. I'll read it in just a moment. And by the way, it does say that. But that is going to happen when the kingdom is eventually established on the earth, the kingdom of God. The the prophecy itself is Isaiah 2, verses 1 through 5, the word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw against Judah and Jerusalem, and it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it. Now, see the difference that when the, when the nation is established, there will still be other nations that will flow to Israel and to, to, Ju- uh, to Jerusalem. That the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established, and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. And notice, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come ye and let us walk in the light of the Lord. We read it also in Micah chapter 4 verse 3 where it says, He shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations afar off and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And so this is to be a war to the finish. The United Nations, maybe it began with good intentions, but it's, it's turned into a platform, and literally a platform, against Israel. There have been more condemnations against Israel in the United Nations than any other nation. And there have been condemnations against a lot of nations. But most of the condemnations come against Israel. So you take their, their scripture and put it on your building, then you condemn them. That's really good. That will be remembered, by the way, in the day of the Lord. So this is to be a war to the finish. It's not going to be a little battle, then we kind of, you know, retreat or whatever. No. When God involves himself in a war, when it's time for him to lead the battle, it's going to be finished, and it'll be finished quickly. To that end, the Lord is sending a message to let all nations assemble and mobilize their manpower and weapon power to the hilt. He says, get everything you've got. Bring it. Don't leave anything behind. Bring it. You got nuclear stuff? Bring it. Whatever you got. In other words, they better come fully equipped and supplied. Even if it means turning every tool used for peaceful pursuits into swords and spears. And you know, their desire uh, to destroy God's people will be so great that even the weak among them will unrealistically consider himself to be strong. Did you notice that in, in verse 10? Let the weak say, I am strong. You know, we sing a song where we sing those words. But for us, it's a, tr- it's a true thing. Let the weak say, I'm strong. Why are we strong? We're not strong in and of ourselves. The Bible teaches us that. It says our strength is of the Lord. In fact, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 says, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. But this is talking about the strength of of the world. That even the weakest ones that are going to come Figure that with all of that manpower and and weapon power, that even as weak as they may be, they'll be strong. That's the idea here. And then it goes on in verse 11 and says, Assemble yourselves and come, all you heathen, and gather yourselves together round about. And then the prophet says, Thither cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. That's the cry of the prophet. There, he says, cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. I mean, this is an amazing picture. The whole land will be overrun by the nation's armies. Now, if you've ever been to Israel, it's, it's overrun with Tourists there there have been some years that you know there's buses upon buses and you're following buses going to one place or another and then you stop and you have to wait because there's 10 buses in front of your one bus and you you know they got to leave so that you can go in and, and see what's going on so, so the land you know today has been overrun by tourists one day think about this they're going to be overrun by armies the world's armies having themselves been summoned to the battlefield in the valley of Jehoshaphat as quickly as possible, while all human help for the remnant of Israel who cleave to the Lord will be gone. Whatever was there to help Israel will not be there any longer. Think about that and us, the United States of America. If there's going to be one nation that will hold on to the very end, it's probably going to be us, but we won't even be there. I hear people always say, you know, America is the strongest nation in the world. I don't believe that. I believe it to a certain extent. I believe it from the standpoint of the world's armies and all. Not only in number, but in technology and military understanding and force and might and all. There is no comparison. But when you put all the armies together before God, you have a problem. And I tell you what, I pray for our, our, our military every day, and I thank God for them. And I think we should continue. But we are talking about a time when every face turns away from God's people. The last part of this verse, verse 11, strongly suggests To us, that the Lord will mobilize his warriors. The cry of the prophet There, cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. The Lord will mobilize his warriors. Who are God's warriors? Well, have you ever heard of the hosts of the Lord? The host of heaven? The Lord's mighty ones more than likely refer to the angels of heaven. Who will be God's agents to execute judgment upon the nations and wicked citizens of the world? I thought of some passages like Psalm 68 verse 17 where it says the chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of angels. When you see numbers put together like that, it's it's actually suggesting a a, a, a myriad of of, of chariots. innumerable. And notice, the Lord is among them, as in Sinai, in the holy place. Or Psalm 103, verses 19-21, through where it says, The Lord has prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye his hosts, ye ministers of his that do his pleasure. And then there is that which Jesus himself in Matthew 13, verses 41 and 42 said, when he said, the son of man shall send forth his angels and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity and shall cast them into into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. I would say God's is pretty serious. In Mark 8:38, it says, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So we realize who the hosts of heaven are. And this is no slouch army, okay? Think about the words in Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. You get to see the commander in chief. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. By the way, this is a true white horse, not like in Revelation chapter 6. You know, the horse uh, with a rider that has a bow but no arrows, you know. Oh, I saw heaven open. Behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. This is the Mashiach. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew. But he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And notice verse 14 And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations. And by the way, as I'm reading this, please understand, I believe this is literal. I don't believe that this is allegorical. I believe it is literal. This is what will be seen. He shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings. And Lord of Lords. Do we know who he is? That's Jesus. And the command will then be given for the nations to call up their soldiers. And to deploy their weapons on the battlefield. Look at verse 12. Let the heathen. Go back to Joel 3 verse 12. Let the heathen be wakened. I've been noticing a little phrase in in the political Language of people nowadays and talk about things. People are getting woke or awakened, I suppose. I'm still trying to figure that one out. There's all kinds of new language being speak, spoken, you know, around speaking around here. You know, <laughs> get my mouth to work here and let the heathen be awakened or awakened, you know. People are being woke up to certain new things happening in politics, right? let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. It will be at that moment that the enemy forces will take their positions and they'll be poised to attack. But the Lord himself will sit. And do you notice that position of sitting? The Lord himself will sit as judge. Over the battlefield. And he will execute perfect justice. On all the nations. And using the picture of harvesting grain and grapes. The Lord will instruct his angelic forces to reap the harvest of enemy armies. As if they were the crops. Look at, look at verse 13. Put ye in. The sickle. You know that big hooked uh, farm implement a very sharp uh, edge on it and literally what it says is swing the sickle through the harvest the harvest is ripe it's time now cut the harvest down come get you down imagine the lord say come on get down for the press is full the fats overflow. By the way, the fats <sighs> is not the fat. It's just a, another English, uh, uh, the early English use of, of the of the word vat, v-a-t, like a vat, like a big uh, big barrel with 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 grapes in it. So it's the fats are overflowing, not not the fats. Like we know vats, but the, the vats are overflowing. The press is full. The wine press is full. In fact, the word there for vats is, is, is a word that means to ex, excavate. You, you, you have to dig holes in, and, and, and that's what you use to, you know, to, uh, to press down the, the, the grapes. The, the press is full, the, the fat's overflow. The, the first command, of course, is the sickle. We just talked about that. Gives in destroying the enemies to strike with a sickle, for the harvest will be ripe and ready, as we also see in Revelation 14. You need, to, uh, you need to see the comparison here, verses 15 through 17 of Revelation 14, where it says, And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap. For the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. Okay, keep your finger there coming back in just a moment. The second command will be to trample the grapes. And again, I mentioned the word uh, which means the wine vat or the excavated wine vat, which is the word Yakeb, Yakeb, which is the word for vat f- or fat in the old English. So that's the next picture of the pressing down of the grapes. In Isaiah 63, verses 1 through 6, Isaiah 63, 1 through 6, it says, Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Bozrah, Bozrah was a, a city in, in, in Edom or a, a town or community in, in Edom. Who is this that cometh from Edom? This that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. The dyed garments, what, what is the dyed garments? Garments dyed because whoever was, this is pointing to is one that has gone and pressed the winepress of the wrath of God. So it says, I that speak in righteousness mighty to say. So the one who's doing it answers here, and then he says in verse 2, Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, or the question posed to him, Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fat? And the answer is, I have trod in the winepress alone. And of the people there was none with me. For I will tread them in mine anger and trample them in my fury and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments and I will stain all my raiment. For the day of vengeance is in mine heart and the year of my redeemed is come. The day of vengeance, the day of the Lord. The year of my redeemed, the final year. of bringing his people through their judgment or through their chastisement the year of my redeemed is come the end of the day of the lord is near and i looked and there was none to help and i wondered that there was none to uphold therefore mine arm my own arm brought salvation unto me and my fury it upheld me and i will tread down the people in mine anger and make them drink in my fury and I will bring down their strength to the earth. So we get a picture of who that is. With his vestments dyed with the blood of those judged in Edom. Brings us back to Revelation 14 verses 18-20, through the rest of the passage that we began reading. Another angel came out from the altar, which had a which had power over fire. <clears throat> and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city or outside of the city, And blood came out of the winepress, even unto the horses' bridles. That's how much blood there would be in this final war. Even unto the horses' bridles by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. That's a lot. In comparing the various passages we've read concerning the judgment of the nations by the Lord himself, with his angelic hosts and the armies of heaven, that even after the Lord has gathered his people back into the land, protected them from the surrounding hatred of their unfriendly neighbors, and will fight for them, as as we've read in Psalm 83 and Ezekiel 30 and 39, there will still be a lingering hostility against him. No matter what God has done to protect the people of Israel... There will be still people in, in total hostility toward God on the earth. But this really isn't surprising since the God hate and the blasphemy of the Antichrist will infect the vast majority of, the man, of mankind with a spirit of rebellion against God. That's already here. That's the spirit of Antichrist. The apostle John talked about it in, jo- in 1 John chapter 2. And it is something that we see happening in our own country today, which, as I said earlier, should be, you know, sending up the red flags to let us know, you know, the time of Christ's return is that near. That even in our own country that for many, many years was considered a Christian country, that now we've turned and we had We had a previous president who said that there's not a Christian nation. And that only because of the agenda that he was driven by. But nonetheless, there was some truth to it. I was reading uh, an article about a Member of a particular house of Congress in, in in a state, I'm trying to remember the state right now. But um, they had asked uh, one of the members of Congress there uh, to give an invocation, and she was a pastor. She's a she is a pastor of a of a Christian. I'm I'm sorry. She is a wife of a Christian pastor. I should say. So she gave a prayer that gave. Thanks and glory to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, and ended her prayer, you know, in the name of Jesus Christ. And, and she got blasted for it. I mean, got blasted for it. It was the same day that a, another uh, member of Congress was being sworn in who was a Muslim, and uh, they had a, an imam there to do a Muslim prayer. Nobody got mad at him for praying in the name of Allah. But every, everybody blasted her. The good thing is she stood her ground. She stood her ground. And I thank God for that because a lot of people don't do that nowadays. But that shows the God hate that there is. And it's going to be even worse when Antichrist is finally revealed. So the masses are not going to take kindly to the prospect of a reign of uncompromising righteousness that comes from God himself. So what options does the world have? Are are they really going to declare war on Christ? The one who is going to be the mighty victorious one at Megiddo? Are they really going to declare war against God? The Lord does challenge them to try. In fact, the last section of our text tonight, verses 14 through 17 says, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon shall be darkened, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion. The implication here is that roar of a lion. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem in the heavens, and the earth shall shake, but the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. So shall you know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then shall Jerusalem be holy, and there shall no strangers pass through her anymore. The great and awesome day of the Lord has come. The prophet Joel shows us the nations assembled in innumerable hosts in the place where the Lord, not the nations, will make his decision this is not about the nations making a decision in the valley of decision it is about God making his decision in the valley of decision multitudes, multitudes is no exaggeration it is a great sea of humanity it is here that we learn how literal the words of Genesis 12 verses 1 through 3 are how literal they are most of you should be familiar with this. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, who will later be called Abraham Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house, and unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee. And make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And notice this, how literal this is now. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. What astounds me today are the number of churches that have taken a stand against Israel and for the Palestinians. Now, it, it sounds like, well, you know, we need to be humanitarian. And, you know, they're, they're suffering a lot because of the oppression that the, that the uh, Israelis put on them are you are you sure you understand and know that to be true because unless you go there and see what they do for the palestinians and what they're trying to do and trying to reach some kind of a peace agreement with them which the palestinians will never do i mean it is it is as bad it is as bad if not worse than than a than a than a liberal congress hating President Trump every time he, you know, wakes up in the morning and eats Raisin Bran. They condemn him for that. Israel does everything they can to, uh, to make peace. Giving the West Bank, giving Gaza, all these things. To what? To terrorists, who keep throwing bo- uh, uh, bombs at them and rockets. It's a joke to them. But any part of a church, quote unquote church, okay, the visible church that is today you know, seen by the world, that will stand against God's people, need to read this and understand its literalness. curse him that curseth thee I will bless them that bless thee curse him that curseth thee I'm telling you right now the Jewish people, Israel down through the ages they've never been perfect never but they are God's people and God made a unilateral covenant for them. Can't argue with that. Always remember this, God knows something we don't know. And whatever it is we don't know is okay with me. In fact, if, if you were to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 25, I believe it's Deuteronomy, <coughs> excuse me. I think it's 25, 25. Or 20, I'm sorry, 29, uh, is it 29, 29? Yeah, Deuteronomy 29, 29. Uh, I get to a, a place where, you know, I, I, I wonder, you know, how, how do we understand the Lord sometimes? Well, this is the best way to do it. Verse 29 says, the secret things belong unto the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of his law, of this law. The secret things belong to the Lord. God will take care of his people. that's, That's a given. We are to love them. We are to support them. We are to bless them. I sat next to a man on an airplane on the way to Israel one time, and he was a Jewish man. And we struck up a conversation. I probably mentioned this not too long ago. I'll mention it again. But uh, we talked a little bit about how many times we'd been to Israel and he'd been to Israel. But he asked me the question, "Why, why do you go to Israel? I said, we go to Israel to bless the Jewish people as God commanded us to bless them, to bless you. And it just struck him. He didn't understand. He didn't know what to say. That Christians would come to bless them. They hear enough about all the ones that are against them. But to hear it from somebody who loves them, it's a totally different matter. When we were in New York City after 9/11, we ran into a lot of Orthodox Jews on the streets. You know, they wanted nothing to do with Christians until we struck up conversations at times. And what we said was, "We are people that love the Jewish people, and we bless you because God commanded us to do it, but because we we love as God." wants us to and doors were open that way many doors were open that way i tell you this the apostle paul knew very good that very well that his his own people would be confounded by the christian who would love israel you can read it in the text that he gives us in romans chapters 9-11 Getting back to the end of this particular passage, so we can close out our study tonight. The words of decision in the valley of decision will be sounded by the roaring lion of Judah, where it says, The Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. And the heavens and the earth shall shake, but the Lord will be the hope. The hope. And by the way, the the word for hope here in the Hebrew means the desire of Israel. And who will they be desiring? The very one whom they pierced. And they'll weep when they see him. For they'll see the scars on their Messiah. Messiah. The words of decision, as we close today, may very well be the words of Jesus in Matthew 25. I want to close with this, and so turn to Matthew 25 in your Bibles and look at these two verses. I encourage you to read all of this. It's familiar to you uh, when you read around these two verses, but this is the decision that is roared out by God. Verse 34, Matthew 25. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then jump to Matthew 25, verse 41. Just a few verses later, where Jesus said, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Come, you blessed of my Father. putting Matthew 24 and 25 together in context, while it will include every believer in Jesus Christ, it also includes the redeemed of Israel. And those to whom he says, depart from me, you cursed, are those who have hated him and his people. Based upon the text that we have seen here in the book of Joel, it is incumbent upon every person to take seriously our, lo- our life and our love for God and everything that God says is good and everything that God says is his. Whether we can understand fully or not, the people of Israel, because they're not easy to understand. But when you've been around them long enough and know them, and, in some cases, be a part of them, you realize our love should only grow for them. This is one reason why we are commanded to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That peace will come, but at a great cost. So. The day of the Lord is real and it's coming and it's more around the corner than we might think simply because of what we see happening today in the world concerning the Lord, the word of God, the people of God, the Church of God, Christ Himself. how all of these things are seen. I mean, if the world loved us, we wouldn't be here tonight. I think think about that. We wouldn't need to be. If the world loved us. Every red flag should go up if the world loved us. The fact that we love jesus i want to serve him that's enough for people to say i don't want anything to do with you others are still trying to figure it out that's a that's good tell them about jesus tell them why you love them whether you hate whether they hate you or not tell them why you love them and folks as christians we need to love one another That I can't stop saying. We've got to love one another because that's what the world sees. They shall know that you're my disciples when you have loved one for another. So let's do that.